Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So card balances and spend, they have decreased since December. The spend on credit cards in January was £669. So it's a 12% drop after peaking during Christmas. But again, if I look to 12 months previously, it's also 17% higher than it was in January 21. So the confidence I've been talking about in my market reports the last few months, it's still there. We're still seeing it in the customer spend. Customer spend's continuing to increase. And since the third lockdown, we've definitely seen strong growth. We've seen similar peaks and troughs in the US and the Canadian spend trends as well. I assume it's fair to say that these are not the best of times for consumers. Fuel prices are rising at rates more recently associated with new COVID cases. Inflation is a global problem likely to be fought with rising interest rates. And there are many consumers who really needed that V-shaped pandemic recovery we were once promised. Welcome to How to Lend Money to Strangers with Brendan LaGrange. When looking forward, we might allow ourselves to be distracted by the shiny and new and innovative. But when we want to know how consumers are doing today, it's worth remembering that there are still more than 60 million credit cards in the UK and that those represent a significant pool of data. It's a pool of data that few can tap with as much nuance as FICO, whose systems provide the infrastructure for many of the largest card issuers. So in this episode, I speak to Liz Ruddick, Principal Consultant within the Credit Lifecycle Practice of FICO Advisors and author of the UK Cards Trends Report, which for January 22 at least still showed strong financial management by consumers, though perhaps shadowed by affordability concerns as fuel and other costs rise. Right. So, Liz Ruddick, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to be speaking to you. When I first landed in the UK, or now three years ago, one of the first things I was introduced to was your card strains report. And for me, it immediately became a useful benchmark. So yeah, it's a pleasure to have the chance to speak to you one-on-one. Before we talk about that card report, though, and what it's been showing in the latest numbers, you are probably already quite well known to many people in the UK credit card industry. But for those listeners that are outside the UK or maybe haven't bumped into you before, let's start with a little bit of a background, how you've come to be authoring one of the go-to market overviews in the UK. Well, thank you, Brendan, and thank you for inviting me on to talk through our credit card risk benchmarking trends that I report on each month. For those that don't know me, I work in our advisors unit, which is the business consulting arm within FICO, and FICO is a global analytics software provider. When I was thinking, how long have I been in this credit card industry? It's scary to tell you. It's been 25 years now. I can't quite believe it. And I've been at FICO for the last 17 years. I'm UK-based, but work with our customer management clients all over the world. So I help support things like credit card launches, system migrations, things like design of credit lifecycle strategies. 
And as I work with so many clients, I can also give industry best practice advice and support as well. Now, with the benchmarks, I've helped compile these and review the trends now throughout my time at FICO for the last 17 years. And what's great with our relationship with our clients is that each of the client's credit card data is individually compared against the industry benchmark. So today I'm just going to talk through the high-level benchmarks, but we do have it for each individual client. So if I see any unusual trends developing, for example, high numbers of customers missing payments, I will then reach out to my clients and share this, and we can then start discussing how best to try and you know, combat this. As a bonus, we can also see the credit card strategies that these customers have in place. So a lot of the time, the clients will ask me to review their strategies as well to see if I can recommend improvements. So this can cover things like collections treatment, limit management, activation, pricing. So all areas of the credit card lifecycle. When I was doing market benchmarking in the Philippines, we moved from a industry average or an industry total to individualized uh, reports. And mm. it really does add a huge depth to the insights you can glean because Often the average is just representative of the one or two big players in the market mm -hmm. and there can be so much happening underneath. But yeah, mm -hmm. once you can see below and you can see the four or five different directions or the clumping up of different strategies, it certainly changes and shows you so much more than a, a, an average would. Yeah. And also, I mean, it can also help influence what risk managers do for the year. So what their priorities are. So I will sometimes get asked by our clients, you know, it could be that compliance teams are asking them, for example, are we giving out too many limit increases and are they too high? And then I can go and look at all our data and go report back and say yes, no. And, and if that is the case, I can then help with the strategy side as well. So, you know, is this an issue? Is this something we need to address? It's probably worth, before we're going too much deeper, talking about how you come to have that data. So mm -hmm. my background is in the credit bureaus and there the banks, the lenders, every month they send you a file of their data. And I was familiar with that. And I was familiar with government data that works, you know, the same sort of way the regulator or some government body might dictate that every lender has to submit numbers to them every month or every quarter. But FICO is not that. And you're not Visa or MasterCard or Amex who's processing the data in the way those outside the industry might think of it. So for people that might be saying, how do you see this bird's eye view of the credit card markets uh, you know, where you're operating? How is it that FICO as a sort of analytics business, a software business is getting this data? In? Yeah, you're right. We're not credit bureaus. So the data we use to compile these credit card benchmarks, it comes from the client reports that we get generated by our triad product solution here in the UK. And that's used by our credit card providers. I think we cover 80% of the market. We've got a vast majority of the market. We also produce the same benchmarks for our US and our Canadian markets as well. So FICO receives data and approximately 80% of the credit card issuers in the US. And in the Canada, it's even higher. I think we're looking at around 90% of the market. So we have the major coverage in all three of these countries. And the measures we use, they're standard across all clients. So they're generated from our product triad. And the clients don't need to give us anything. They don't need to send us anything. It's all already getting produced each month. So that way, we are confident that we are comparing apples with apples, essentially. So there hasn't been any data manipulation. Fantastic. And at times as changeable as the ones we're in now, it's even more obvious why it's useful to have a steady guiding light to try and compare your numbers, I'm sure. Well, this will be true of all businesses, but I'm sure credit card product owners around the world are looking and trying to decide, you know, is risk supposed to be going up? Are we supposed to be growing? 
what's happening. There's inflation, there's a conflict in Ukraine, there's COVID that's still lingering. So to have that ability to see what's the market doing, what are these general trends, I'm sure it's very reassuring going forward. So let's start talking a little bit about those uh, numbers that you've seen. Shortly before I left the industry, we were in COVID, the card market was dipping. And in part, that was, you would say, because sort of opportunities to spend evaporated, certainly travel and entertainment, which are big areas for credit card spend, were not available. But then we started opening up. Now we're sort of leaving the lockdown world from COVID, at least in the UK. And then we've got now more concerns about inflation, about fuel prices, about cost of living generally. So yeah, a very scattered market that I you know, I wouldn't know which way is it moving now. So maybe if we start at the high level, what is the state of play today in the UK credit card market? And yeah, the benchmarking data from January it suggests that despite you know the well documented increases that we're seeing in the cost of living, we're seeing that consumers are still managing their credit card spend relatively well at the moment, and indeed they're continuing to pay down significant portions of their balances as well. It almost feels like this has to be a but. I mean, obviously, we are paying now an in inflation for all that money that was injected in. But it does feel like the programs that the government and the private sector put in place have largely helped. So it's yeah, not optimistic, perhaps, but certainly not as bad as it might have been. <laughs> That's a phrase I sort of catch myself saying, because when I was doing COVID market overviews myself, I think it, almost everyone was about how, yeah, it's not as bad as it might have been. But when I stopped looking at those numbers every day, we were seeing people pay down their balances and, you know, card balances getting paid down quite quickly. But that was in part because, as you said, you know, there was lack of opportunity to spend, but also because we were seeing things like mortgage payment freezes or, or mortgage payment holidays that allowed people to take maybe some cheap capital from their mortgage and pay down their credit cards. The impacts of those, I'd imagine, have washed through now. So I was a little bit interested to hear what is happening with card balances now. We've got some pressure, as you said, from prices. What are you seeing in terms of repayment of, of card balances? In January, there was a slight increase and consumers are paying now around 41% of their payments as a percentage of balance. And if we look back to 12 months previously, for January 21, this is a 17% increase. So to me, it suggests that, you know, consumers are still using savings made if they've been lucky enough during lockdown and also suggests that customers want to continue to have credit available for future spending. So perhaps waiting for more countries to relax COVID restrictions and testing protocols so that they can confidently book holidays. If we look at Canada, the percentage of payments to balance there has been steadily increasing since August last year. And out of the three countries, this is the highest percentage with 56%. Canada didn't see the slight drop that we saw in the UK during December. So usually when we see trends coming through each year, and this obviously Christmas spend is a big influencer. And you do see a slight drop in the percentage of payments to balance in December. And we did see that in our data as well. But then we saw this slight increase in January. Canada didn't see that. And then if we look at the US, they've been a lot more consistent. So throughout most of 2021, their percentage of payments has been around 30%. So 30% for the US, a lot higher, 56% for Canada, and we're in the UK looking around 41%. Okay, yeah, I hadn't seen that cross-country comparison before. I guess if you had asked me, I would have assumed the US would have the lowest percentage there, but it's interesting to see. And I know from my own time here, having a colleague in Canada, that the two markets have 
you know, UK and, and Canada share a number of similarities, but also obviously a number of differences. So you're listening to How to Lend Money to Strangers. If you're enjoying it, please hit the little plus button to subscribe and share it with your connections on LinkedIn. Now, let's get back to the show. Okay, balances are being paid down, and some of that might be from savings. If we think about how balances are created, though, obviously, spend on a on a day-to-day, month-by-month basis is going to be influencing where balances go in the future. And as we've said a few times already now, prices are, are going up. What are you seeing in terms of the spend that's happening on the credit cards in the latest numbers? Yeah, as I said, with Christmas spend, you're going to see a big influence. So car balances and spend, they have decreased since December. And this is obviously expected We see this year on year. The spend on credit cards in January was £669. So it's a 12% drop after peaking during Christmas. But again, if I looked 12 months previously, it's also 17% higher than it was in January 21. So the confidence I've been talking about in my market reports the last few months, it's still there. We're still seeing it in the customer spend. And since the third lockdown, we've definitely seen strong growth. We've seen similar peaks and troughs in the US and the Canadian spend trends as well. And back to the UK, sales have increased throughout most of 2021. And it was higher over Christmas than it was in the previous two years as well. And in fact, in Canada, sales have reached a two-year high in December, reaching 1,556 Canadian dollars. If we then move a look at the credit card overspend, so these are customers who spend over their credit card limit. The average over-limit amount in the UK is £121. This is 18% lower than it was this time last year. And an interesting side note, what's interesting to me, is that you see a lot more customers spending over their credit card limit in the US and Canada than you do over here. Over here, it's less than 1% of customers that go over limit. But in the US and Canada, it's roughly around 4%. Now, in the US, they don't have the over-limit fee that customers may have here on their on their credit cards. That may be influencing the figures we see here. That's interesting. And also, I guess, just further underlining that it's not as bad as it could have been to see things like even over-limit spend decreasing. Now, obviously, over-limit spend can't be separated from limit strategies themselves. So how card issuers set their limits is going to influence how easy it is for a consumer to go over that limit. So... If I try and imagine what a portfolio manager and a card issuer is thinking right now, I can't quite place where limits would be heading. As I said earlier on, you know, you've coming out of COVID. So on the one hand, you know, we were talking about growth. We had been at some stage promised a V-shaped recovery before all of the more recent chaos, but it was out looking for growth, try to build back those balances that were paid down. On the other hand, COVID stretched so long. We've got, you know, conflict in Ukraine leading to rising prices, we've got inflation as a more broader problem. So maybe somebody's feeling a bit conservative and deciding to pull their limits down. I can't really work out what would be the sensible approach. So what are you seeing in terms of credit limits in the market and whether they're going up or or going down? Well, at the start of the pandemic, there was actually an initial rise in the number of limit increases that were offered. So remember, in the UK, we offer limit increases to customers who can't automatically just increase somebody's limit. But after those initial few months, the majority of issuers actually turned off all of their increase programs and we were seeing more aggressive limit decreases being given. And, and this is in an effort to try and control future bad debt. And it's the only time in all my years working with the credit card data that I've seen the number of it decreases actually being higher than the number of increases. But with the initial rise at the beginning, we saw a similar trend in the 2008 recession as well. 
and the average credit line during the pandemic, it peaked in June 2020 and then sharply decreased to around November of that year. Since that point, though, it's been steadily increasing and it's now in January standing at £5,450. And the average credit line is now actually higher than it was pre-pandemic levels. So, you know, it's business as usual now when it comes to limit management programs. So with the right strategies in place, there should actually be fewer accounts needing or being allowed to go over limits in the first place. We saw a similar picture in the US with limits reducing, as they reduced through most of 2020 as well, when the issuers put their limit increase programs on hold. Although now it's not quite as high as it was pre-pandemic, the average limit isn't far off now in the US. So it's standing at 7,789 US dollars if we look at January figures. Okay, yeah. So business as usual, I think is a good way to put it. Liz, you, you talked about the change in spend values, but the pandemic had also maybe accelerated a lot of behavioral changes around card usage, obviously with a huge push towards online that has been seen in all sectors. But I guess in payments in general, there's just been a way that maybe 10 years of change has all happened in the two years that we were in lockdown, it feels like. Are any of those sort of bigger changes being reflected in the data that you see? We've definitely seen a big change with regards to cash usage on credit cards during the pandemic. In fact, there's been a significant decline here over the past two years, and we've seen a 50% drop in the percentage of accounts that are using their credit card for cash transactions. So it's a big change. And I think if we go back to all of what we saw through the pandemic, I think you know there's three major things here influencing this. We all probably remember that for several months, shops weren't accepting cash. We've seen the big increase in online spending, and I can't see that changing. And then in October last year, we saw the contactless limit increasing from £45 to £100. So I don't think we're ever going to reach those pre-pandemic levels again when it comes to cash usage. And then I was looking at Canada and the US as well because it's you know, such a massive change. And out of the three countries, Canada's got the highest percentage of customers using their credit card to take out cash with 10%. So although just as in the UK, the numbers declined, it's you know 10% is still quite a high figure. The drop in the US wasn't as noticeable, but in January, usage stood at around 4% there. Now, if you compare that to the UK, we're looking at 3%. Two years ago, the UK had slightly higher cash usage than we were seeing in the US, but now we're ranked third with the 3%, 4% in the US, and then there's much bigger in cash usage in Canada with 10%. So yeah, a huge, huge difference. If it changes, it's going to take a long time for cash usage to creep up, but I can't see it's ever going to go to that level again. Yeah, I'd say anecdotally from using a credit card that that's my experience. So when I moved here from Hong Kong, the contactless limit there was a thousand Hong Kong dollars, which is basically a hundred pounds. And so when I moved here, I think it used to be 25, didn't it? When it started, there wasn't much usage of it. I would tap and go, but invariably something uh, was more expensive and you were using your pin. I had to try and remember what my pin was the other day because it's been so long since I've had to put it in because yeah, it went to think 25, 45, 100. I think all within the pandemic, if I'm, if I'm remembering right. And if I just look around me at the self checkout, you know, everybody's tapping and going. So I think you're right. I think, yeah, I've got pounds that are in, in my wallet from. Yeah, I don't know when last they were taken out of a machine. Yeah, I think that's a change that's here to stay. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. 
Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juvederm.com. Before we wrap up, Liz, one thing I wanted to do is address the elephant in the room of risk. We've said, yeah, it's business as usual, largely within the card space, back sort of to pre pandemic levels. If we look at things like where credit limits are being set and spend seems under control, even over limits spend seems under control. But what about missed payments themselves, because obviously sometimes a trend can be hidden within the bigger numbers. If we do look at consumers who are maybe struggling, are you seeing any change, any increase in the number of people missing payments? Well, the biggest missed payment hits here are usually after Christmas. So between January and March, that's when the collection of jobs are busy. So we're looking at January figures and we have to keep that in our minds. During the half of the pandemic, the number of consumers struggling to make payments was masked by the payment holiday support that the banks offered. You know, and we also had the furlough support. So as a result, over here, missed payments were low. We saw similar trends in the US and Canada. So the government gave grants there. And although payment holidays weren't offered like they were over here, individuals could still apply for support if required. In Canada, missed payments have been pretty stable since August 2020. And over in the US, the number of customers missing payments has been increasing, I'd say, since around April 2021. And it's now nearing those pre-pandemic levels. So if we compare the three countries and we look at the percentage of accounts missing payments, overall in the UK, it's at 3%. And in the US and Canada, it's at 9%. So it's higher over there. And we're looking at 3%. But if we concentrate on the UK figures, so over here in the UK, the payment holiday support ended last October. So we are closely monitoring the percentage of customers who are missing their credit card payments. There is a little bit of concern, but as I've said, we have to take into account that there's going to be an increase in the number of the missed payments, as well as an increase in average missed balances as well because of the Christmas spend that we see. But of concern, we are seeing an increase in the percentage of consumers missing one and two payments. So when I say two payments, I mean two consecutive credit card payments. And we're also seeing an increase in the average balance of accounts, one cycle in the rears as well. So to put it into context, 1.54% of accounts missed one payment in January. That's an average balance of £2,023. And if we look at it since December, that's a 0.72% increase. Now, interestingly, this increase actually started in December. 
which is a month earlier than what we usually see. So what I think we're seeing here is with the lockdown easing, I think it's resulted in customers spending more than they usually would prior to the Christmas rush. So we're a month ahead with the figures than we normally would see. In historical context, that makes sense as well, because the Christmas before was the Christmas that was sort of stolen at the last minute where everybody was promised a break and then the numbers spiked. And it was, I mean, I was driving down from Yorkshire to the South Coast as the messages were coming through. It was two days before Christmas or something that everything was cancelled. Oh, yeah. And I think this year, people maybe wanted to take their chances and thought, well, it might be November, but let's get it in while we can because we don't know what might happen by Christmas time. So let's uh, Mm. let's have our festive season (laughs) for as long as they let us and then uh, carry on from there. Yeah, I think so. If we look at two missed payments, it's 0.3% of accounts that missed two payments, so two payments in a row. This has increased since December, though, by 11, nearly 12% actually. So although this sounds a lot, again, if we look at this time last year, it's actually 11% lower than it was this time last year. And the average balance of those customers that are missing two payments in a row, that's remained flat since December and is nearly 4% lower than it was a year ago. What we can also do with the date, and I haven't mentioned it so far, is we can break it down by vintage. So this is how long customers have their credit card for. And we have three vintages in our benchmarking. So we have new, established and veteran accounts. Veteran accounts are customers that have had their credit card for five plus years. Then we have new customers. So these people have had their credit card for less than 12 months. And then for established, it's that one to five year grouping in the middle. So for new accounts, these are usually the riskier segment. They're going to be more credit hungry. They've recently asked and taken out a credit card. They're usually a lot more active. And typically, we're going to see more missed payments for these customers. Those people who take the card and are riskier and are going to struggle with payments, they haven't had a chance to filter through yet. So they're still in this group of new vintage. So if we look at the new accounts and just look at those in isolation, if we compare these customers to 12 months earlier, the percentage of customers missing one payment is actually 19% lower. And for two missed payments, it's 35% lower. So, you know, that's, that's a big difference. And 12 months ago, some of these customers would still have been on the payment holiday. So the fact that the number now missing these payments is lower than a year ago is very encouraging. But obviously, we're going to keep tracking this. We don't know how, you know, the next few months with with the Christmas card spent and that spend prior to Christmas, how that is going to influence it. But so far, it's looking okay. Yeah, and doubly encouraging because you spoke about early on about your reports being available at the individual level. And one of the messages I always try to push when I spoke about the industry was if we talk about an industry as a whole, that average can hide a lot of trends underneath. And that principle, I think, is true no matter what numbers we're looking at, to be careful of talking about the average. And one of the ways that that was concerning people during those two years of peak COVID was that, yes, we could tell them everything's under control, but they were saying, what about these few people that are opening new accounts? Maybe the average risk story is fine because 90% of people are fine, but who's opening new accounts now? And that was concerning a lot of risk issuers in credit card, but across all the product types that, yeah, if I look at my whole portfolio, does that reflect this group of people who mid-pandemic are opening a new account? What if they're just coming off a payment holiday and they're not going to be able to afford it? What if they're taking this out now because underlying risk issues have emerged. And so to see that that vintage, those people that were of most concern are so much lower in terms of the actual risk, I think is very reassuring because it says that actually 
the risk was well measured. The numbers that they were looking at to make those decisions, their scorecards, were telling them a good story. And obviously, individual lenders may have lifted their cutoffs or been stricter in who they lend to, but it does show that the models that they use, because that's obviously we're both from analytical backgrounds. One of the concerns when you work in a scorecard environment and then you go through two years of pandemic is, will my scorecard still work? Has this undermined everything? Because the, now the two years of history is so fundamentally different to what I built the model on. And that story of surprising steadiness, I think, is now repeated in here that, yeah, it wasn't as bad as it could have been. The government injected a huge amount of money here, the Canada, and also in the US. And it seems to have kept it rather steady. And it seems like scorecards are working. It seems like even newly issued products are performing as expected, or even maybe better. So there's a big cloud still on the horizon. Unfortunately, we didn't get that lovely sort of roaring 20s with a V-shaped recovery. And we've now got inflation and, and fuel price concerns. But consumer economy feels like it's still quite well prepared. Yeah, it's not going to be pleasant. There's certainly going to be people that are really suffering with it. But it does feel like it's still in a relatively stable point, which is good to know. That said, it does remind me, you do do these reports at an individual level. So I'm sure there are people listening, whether they are in the UK, where we focus today, also Canada or the US, where you have the reports as well, who may want to see their portfolio or what they look like in the context of their marketplaces. Or if somebody just wants to read that report to understand the market a little bit better, what is the best way for them to approach you or to learn more about FICO? They can reach out to me directly and obviously I'll be happy to help. And if they're a triad user and already know who their strategy consultant is, they're also very familiar with the report as well. So they can also help. But obviously, if you don't know, please contact me and I'll be happy to help. Great. And thank you very much, Liz. And thank you all for listening. If you enjoyed that, please do rate and review on your preferred podcast platform and share widely, including on LinkedIn. And while you're there, send me a connection request. The show is written and recorded by myself, Brendan LaGrange, in Brighton, England, and edited with assistance by Kane Hunter. Show music is by I Am Wake, and you can find full written transcripts now in several languages, show notes, and more content at www.howtolendmoneytostrangers.show. And I'll see you again next Thursday. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.